I'm Stargate Pioneer from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the one you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Deck the halls and welcome to episode 161 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we kick off our annual tradition of closing up the year with our gear. This week, it's all about the Steven. In this week's Better Podcasting Download, we talk about how Pandora kind of opened their podcast submission form, how they might be asking for a lot of info, and how I kind of screwed up last week. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we talk about your most valued and disappointing gear purchases. Lauren, start the show now. I'm SP's biggest disappointment. Welcome to Better Podcasting, a show where we talk about podcast tips, tools, and best practices to help you succeed with your podcast. What makes us different? Well, just like you, we podcast purely out of the love and fun of it. Podcasting is our hobby, and we recognize that it's yours too. We always encourage your questions and feedback, and you can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. Here's your host for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to episode 161 of Better Podcasting. I am the Ba in Ba Humbug, Stephen John Drew. And of course, I have with me the gremlin in AMC Gremlin, Stargate Pioneer. I could tear apart your car like nobody else. Of course, you might not be able to put it back together right away. You might have to wait a few months. But yeah, I could get there. I'm a rocket scientist. I just need the parts and the time. By the way, for those of you who are completely lost, which is pretty much everybody about the AMC Gremlin reference, that's because we were having a little chat pre-show at Geeks.Live. That's right. If you didn't know that we record this show live, which is usually on Wednesdays, at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And sometimes before the show, we have a chat with the people who are there. So if you want to get in on some of that fun and you could have got that reference, please check us out when we record live. Now, with that said, we will tell you that after today, we are not recording live until 2019. We will be back the week of January 9th is the next time that we will be recording is January 9th. So keep your eyes on our Twitter and our Facebook and the Geeks.Live calendar, because yes, we will be having one more episode after this one, then we'll have a week off. So there you go. You've had your warning. You can have your time to decompress from Steven and SP, but don't decompress too much because we want you to tell us what is one thing that you want to improve in your podcast in 2019. Now, we have a specific challenge on how we want you to do this. What we want you to do is listen back to a recent episode of your show, and out of that, pick one thing that you have heard and identified that you need to change. Now, where this all stems from is I was listening back to the official GunnaGeek.com show a month or two ago, and I heard that I really needed to enunciate better, especially towards the tail half of the show. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to get better at that, and I made that an active goal right there and then. And so we want you to give yourself a 2019 goal. Just pick back one thing, and it can be anything that you observe as a listener of your own podcast. For me, obviously, it's going to be getting rid of Stephen 
John Drew from Better Podcasting. All his segments are a little bit uh, sketchy and substandard. So I'm thinking about just removing him totally from Better Podcasting. And my wish might have just come true, which is awesome. So get your stories in on what you want to change with your podcast with 2019 into us as soon as you can. We've gotten a bunch already and we are looking for more. In the meantime, we're going to talk about how we always start our show off with a how I saved my podcast story. Well, this week it is a how I could have saved my podcast story. I've gone into the internet, reached, and gotten actually a PSA, a podcasting public service announcement. And that is from Reddit. It's from the podcasting subreddit. It was posted by G 65 and the title was PSA. Don't change your audio settings hours before you record. Let me read the post. Quote, so I was reading some articles about audio chains and different FX settings. And like a total moron, I decided it would be good to incorporate some of these into my podcast setup without really testing hours before my next session. Yeah. So this week's episode has all kinds of audio issues and it's driving me nuts. The episode is done and I've cleaned it up as best as I can. Heck, maybe no one would even notice, but I do. And it's irritating as heck. Oh, well, I'm chalking this one up to experience and moving on. Don't make the same mistakes. Learn from this guy and make any changes slowly and deliberately. And always test your changes and make sure you have a backup of your settings. Luckily, I did have a solid backup, so I was able to restore everything to a point before my boneheaded self wrecked everything. That is all. Thanks, unquote. Yes, uh, 100% agree. Wait to make the changes. And here's the other thing, too, is where you can try to record a signal that doesn't it also include those changes when you do end up making the changes. Like the example that I always give of that is the DBX 286. You can actually take the insert, which is before all of the the enhancement and whatnot on the DBX 286. And I have for a long time recorded that channel. I do it into my Zoom L12, but I could do it into an H6 when I was using that. So that way, if I make changes to my DBX 286, it's not impacted with another recording, I have a fallback if I listen to it and I go, wow, those changes suck. You know, we've all done that. We've talked about that a thousand times where we go in and, and you know, we're like, this will sound really good. Let's throw the bass here. And then you just sound muddy and underwater. So definitely, if you can, try to have a backup of the unaffected audio if you can. Halleck G65, don't call yourself a moron. You're not boneheaded. What you need to do is you need to gather these experiences and do exactly what you did. You post it on Reddit and then you send it in to podcast at betterpodcasting.com. We read it on the air. We share with the class. And now your move is not a moronic or boneheaded. It's a teaching moment for other podcasters. So thank you very much for sharing Halleck G65. We really appreciate the added content to this show and the added reminder to make those audio chain tweaks slowly and deliberately over time. And just so you know, so you feel a little bit better, Stargate Pioneer is going to take his microphone, turn it around and podcast the rest of the episode like that, just so that it sounds, you know, pretty terrible. And then your sounds good in comparison. Yeah, I, I could do that. We could, we could do that. 
You didn't specify which microphone. For the audio listener, SP is holding up the Rode Procaster that he has sitting there. And uh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good looking microphone. You should go back to that. But if you have a how I saved my podcast story or a how I should have saved my podcast story, please get in touch with us. Send that to podcast at betterpodcasting.com. We would love to hear what went wrong. How did you fix it? And let us know all of the ways that you saved your podcast so that we can share with the class. But let's go ahead and move on to our featured topic. So for those of you who don't like me, I apologize. Uh, It's a fair share of our audience base from my understanding. Like any Canadian should, right? Just apologize, even if it's true or not. You just apologize. Yes, and I'm sorry if that apology offended you as well. So there you go. Uh, Today, we are kicking off our gear arc. And this is something that we kicked off our first year of doing better podcasting because we were talking a little bit about the evolution of gear. And that's what we did was we did a couple episodes that we talked about various aspects of the gear. And then one of them was talking about how we got to where we were now with gear. The reason we did this was because we wanted to highlight that while we do have quite a bit of gear, we call it gas gear acquisition syndrome. uh, We took time to get there. Yes, we made some good purchases, some bad purchases, but we evolve each year. So as a podcaster, don't feel like, oh, look, all those other people have gear. I need to get gear. No, you don't need that. And if you do need something You can buy it slowly and slowly change your build. It's okay. We always say all you need is an Audio-Technica AT2005 or ATR2100 because that's a great place to start. It's an easy microphone to use and, and don't worry about the rest. So each year now, we've made it an annual tradition where one episode, I'll talk about my purchases from the past year, how I use them, and SP will do it the next episode. So this week is my episode. And then the week after will be Stargate Pioneer. And again, this is to give you some ideas and some things that you might not have thought about, some things that you might help or things that you might go, you know what? I was thinking I might need that, but Steven definitely used it wrong, so I don't need it. So definitely uh, that is how we're going to roll through. And so I'm going to go and just give you a list of the things that I purchased over the past year. And oh, by the way, Stargate Pioneer will probably jump in occasionally and tell me all the things that I did wrong, of course, because, you know, that's how it goes. Because like when you were describing it, you neglected to say that you've been podcasting for over 10 years and I've been podcasting for eight years. And our gear evolution has taken place over the course of many, many years, not just two or three, but a lot more than that. And so don't get frustrated because your gear does not look and sound or whatever like ours but you will get there eventually if you add something every year that's a good quality piece of gear and that's what we try to preach on better podcasts and get your podcast better but steven without further ado let's get into the first piece of gear that you added in 2018 so the first thing that i want to talk about is something that is an ongoing thing with me and it seems like every year i've got some of this happening And they are ground loop isolators. Now, the reason why I ended up getting ground loop isolators this year was because previously my availability up in Canada 
was that the uh, ground loop isolators that I had to use essentially were RCA jacks. So what I had to do was if I was using it from my computer into my sound mix or whatever it was, I had to use like a 3.5 millimeter to convert it over to RCA just to convert it back to something else. Well, a lot of where I have problems with ground loop hums and other things that the ground loop isolators clean up the noise is coming out of my PC, which is, of course, most of the time, a 3.5 millimeter jack. So I this year made the active effort to replace some of those because now I have available and you've probably seen these pop up on Amazon and other places, three and a half millimeter ground loop isolators. And they're a lot smaller than the ones that I used to have. The ones I used to have were large boxes. These are just little tiny inline things. And um, there's a variety of different names. If you look for a ground loop isolator, if you look at the video show at betterpodcasting.com slash 161, uh, I'm holding one up and really uh, it just cleaned up some of the cables. So that's where I've I've used it quite a bit and uh, definitely was nice to get some of those cables cleaned up. While we're going down that same sort of path, one of the other things that I ended up purchasing this year was a couple of DI boxes. Now, I have a couple of direct injection boxes by a couple of different brands. And the reason why I did this was because you may recall there was the saga of the Zoom L12, where for some reason, when I would say the word hack, it would clip and sound terrible. Well, I discovered that the solution that I was looking for was to put between my DBX286 and my Zoom L12 a direct injection box, a DI box, which ended up solving the problem. Yes, it's a little hokey makeshift, but... I was able to keep the signal cleanness that I had and prevent me from being able to or prevent me from having to reword everything that I say. And again, I say hack a lot because I talk about myself in the third person a ton. And as we all know, I am a hack. I've had DI boxes in my setup since I started increasing the entirety of the complexity of the system. And DI boxes are used in professional applications. It's one of the things that I researched looking into trying to get away from ground loop isolation issues. And it's not, I, I wouldn't say it was hokey, Stephen. I think it is just something that is needed from time to time. And they are needed on stage, even with performance and stuff with live, uh, with, with live gears. And I think adding one to your system was just fine for that particular application. I'm, I'm curious though, if you ever happen to get another mixer along the way because it seemed to be isolated to the zoom l12 if that same sort of distortion would have been heard if you remove the di box and you throw in uh, another mixer and you go like from the mixer into a zoom h6 or something like that if that hack thing would still work it uh, would still distort with your gear box with your gear setup the way it is and or not I, I would be curious about that. Yeah, I've had a couple of questions about what exactly is the cause, but in any case, it's something that I had, and so I had to try to find a solution to it, and the DI box was the way for me to go. The next thing that I ended up getting this year was a Behringer UMC 202 HD. Now, I have to say that I've been actually pretty impressed with it because for the price range, it's offered quite a clean signal compared to some of the other products that I've used, including some other Behringer products. The UMC 202 HD has a couple of XLR slash uh, quarter inch jacks, 
on it. So you have the possibility to have proper XLR cables into it. And the signal is just far better than what I was using before, which was a UCA222 little uh, input. And what I use this for is to basically take the mix from my mixer and put it in to the live stream and the video recording that we use. So I have the XSplit software and it obviously needs to get an audio signal. And so I take the mix out of the mixer, put it into the UMC 202 HD, which is then fed in to the video and interwoven, of course, and, you know, saved to the hard drive and whatnot. So it's quite a good improvement for the live experience this year. I do need to try to eyeball making a couple cable changes, but uh, definitely impressed me compared to some of the Behringer products that I have tried before. Is it going to be ultra clean? Heck no. It's cheap, but it's been better for me than some of the other stuff. I'm glad you had a chance to look into this one. I've got my eye on the Mackie producer. It's the similar two channel audio interface itself. And I might get that next year. We'll see. I just couldn't. I was planning on getting into this this year, but just couldn't do it. So I'm glad that you were able to test the UMC 202. HD and it works just fine for you and I'll be interested to see how long it lasts. A lot of these have been sold to hobby podcasters looking to get into the space inexpensively. So the 202 to 204 have been highly recommended for people on a budget. Absolutely. Now this next thing is something that a lot of people underestimate when they get into podcasting, especially when they get into doing video stuff is I needed to add hard drive space to my computer last year. And the great thing about me owning a Windows machine is I was able to just continue adding hard drives because I had many, many open SATA ports with on, within my motherboard to add. So I didn't have, I wasn't dealing with like a, a laptop or a, you know, all enclosed, all in one unit of any kind. I'm using a traditional tower. And so I added a four terabyte hard drive. And I want to mention this because, again, a lot of people undervalue and underestimate how much space it takes to do podcasting and video. So I also have filled that up in the past year. Again, want to highlight that that is something that it was a solution that I needed for this year. But I do a lot of different video footage and it fills up very, very quickly, especially with 4K video. Mm hmm. And uh, that is the thing that I am doing now. And I will say this, that I most of that is to do with drone footage, but some of it is to do with my video projects that I'm doing now. In fact, if you saw the GunnaGeek.com show Christmas little thing that we did, that actually was a lot of 4K footage because uh, there's several of us that did shoot in 4K. And I want to say while we're talking about that is while you might say to yourself, I don't know that I need 4K, I have noticed consistently that a 4K video uploaded to YouTube, even running on a 4K display, is far, far better at the end result than just uploading a 1080 video. And I think the reason might be why is I, I think that the compression settings with YouTube on 1080, I think they might be really limiting um, sort of the bitrate on the 1080 compression because I don't have 4K displays, but there's a, a very clear difference with the quality on the 4K than there is on the just strictly 1080 videos that I upload. So I think it's worth considering that that might be something that you, maybe you need to start uploading 4K to get the better quality. Did you mean 1080 displays versus 4K displays? Because you said even on a 4K display. Sorry, I didn't mind to say 1080. Yeah, even on okay. a 1080 display. Good point. Good point. 
So speaking of video, uh, as SP said, I've been doing 4K lately, and in order to also sort of speed up render times and speed up just other things that are to do with sort of the video element of what I do, this year I was fortunate enough to get in my repertoire a GTX 1080, and this was quite the increase from my previous GTX 660, which I, I only got a few years ago and was quite working well for me until sort of the last year or so. Now, this sped up render time drastically and allowed me to take advantage of some of the new software features that I'll touch about in a minute with the editing software that I do use. So it sped up render time drastically. And so again, I'm very, very fortunate to have this. And uh, I'll just go ahead and just throw it out there. Just thank you. Thank you. The next thing that we've got is software. I had a couple of software changes this year that I wanted to mention. One of them was a, a purchase. One of them was just a change. And uh, the first one that I'll talk about is Movie Studio 15. For those of you who have not heard us talk about it before, Stargate Pioneer and I recommend Magic's Movie Studio as a editing piece of software. Now, that is the Vegas line. So that's Vegas Movie Studio. Don't get confused with the Magic Movie Edit. We're talking about the Vegas Movie Studio, which is owned by Magic's. It's just a really good balance of features for a podcaster who needs doll-like tracks and ability to add effects and whatnot. It's definitely one of the more powerful pieces that you can get on a consumer budget. Well, this year I upgraded from 14 to 15. And the reason why I did that was because it offered several new features. One of them was much faster render times if you were doing video because they were really taking advantage of the NVIDIA hardware encoding the modern architecture that they have on NVIDIA cards. And it is a drastic difference between not having it and having it. And so it was worth going up to the 15 just because, again, it really improved the render times. And that was on 1080 footage. That was on 4K footage. It was just an overall worthwhile upgrade. And that's an example that I wanted to share because of the fact that you never know what's going to change just one year apart. So it's always worth considering just because you bought something last year doesn't mean that it's good enough like or it's not worth upgrading because something like this for me it was worth upgrading because of the fact that it it paid for itself by less render time the next thing that i want to mention which is not actually the a, a payment of any form but i wanted to mention it right now because it was a change within my hardware setup was Skype NDI okay Skype NDI came into play and i i wanted to say this because while it wasn't a gear change this year, it did change my possible gear path. The fact that Skype now has NDI support, yes, there is glitchy issues with it, but the fact that they are now supporting NDI over network makes me now no longer need to consider getting hardware capture cards if I want to go and start adding Skype boxes. Because of the fact that I can now pull those in over the network, it's changing my future gear path as far as what I might do if I want to start adding some Skype boxes and off pooling some of those resources as well. The whole fact of them changing to use NDI as opposed to sort of listening to what people were doing before, which was using um, capture windows and whatnot. 
there is a problem for the people who were doing that because now there's like hardware acceleration involved with Skype. And so what ends up happening is if someone was capturing video on Skype before, they have troubles with most pieces of software just because of limitations with what's called hardware acceleration. So it was worth noting because it quite cha quite drastically changed the way that I was pulling in things for our video side of the shows. Unfortunately, the addition of any new feature in Skype or any new feature of Windows is problematic these days. It's like it doesn't go through a complete beta testing before they throw it out. It, it seems like we, the general public, are the beta testers once it gets up to a certain level. And if it breaks, they'll just immediately pull it back. But if it doesn't break, then they just keep it out there. There's been a lot of instances of USB ports not being able to recognize audio devices. There's issues with Skype compatibility between two different people that might be on two different versions of Skype. So this is not a panacea. However, I am liking the path forward with the technology capability. I just wish it would like work versus <laughs> thrown out there to, well, maybe it will work and maybe not. And you don't have a chance to not upgrade it automatically upgrades you at some point. You can delay it, but it's going to happen. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, one of the things that I also had changed in this past year, and it was actually a couple of different things, was, and this is related, because for those of you who have only listened to the audio side of things, you should know that for the video side of things, I do have a backdrop and I have some smart lights and whatnot. Well, Guess what? This year, I made it easier on myself to set up for my video side of my shows because I ended up replacing the colored lights that I had on my backdrop. For the, Again, those of you who have only checked out the audio side of things, I have colored lights illuminating my backdrop. And what I did was I took it from needing to use a remote every time that I started recording Gonna Geek Show or Better Podcasting and made it so that they were actual colored smart bulbs so that I could simply trigger it by using my smart uh, device. It'll give you a hint, her name starts with an A. So I added that to my setup this year and it has made quite a bit of a difference because uh, I'll admit, even though I've got Velcro on the back of the remote, I used to lose it all the time. I actually had a, set, a backup tucked away so that when I lost it, I could go and grab that and, and use it. But Definitely, it made it a lot easier. It's just one less thing that I have to worry about. And I have a lot more control over the color control and whatnot than I did before with the previous bulbs. So that was a change that I decided I wanted to make because I got a really good deal on some smart bulbs. The other thing is, speaking of video, I was looking at my video last year and realized that I kind of was a little bit of an abyss on my chair and just my shoulders and everything, especially when I wore dark clothes and whatnot. So I ended up adding just a single light so that it shone on me and illuminated me as basically a backlight. And it made quite a difference in, in making me not seem so much like I was falling into a void. Yeah, the fall into the void thing is interesting. I've seen several different studios that go black and there's a reason to go black in the background that it obscures everything in the background. But unfortunately, if you're not lit, if yourself is not lit or something around you is not lit, it just seems like there's nothing there. And I would, from that standpoint, prefer not to go with a black background like the gray one that I have right now. But there's 
detriments to that as well, because you can see imperfections in it. There is a background that can be seen versus not seen in the black. And it might make, if you're doing any sort of green screen and you're able to do that with black, it, it would be more difficult to do that with another color other than green or blue. So, yep, there's that. And also, I wanted to mention you were talking about the remote control and going to the voice automated commands. You also have an app that you can use to change your, your bulbs if you need to, like if something would happen to your A word <laughs> or you just wanted to change something and not be on mic or something like that, you could go into an app and change that too. Good point. I definitely can. Another thing that I wanted to mention right now was not a purchase, but again, it was another visual thing that I, I have to give a shout out to right now, which was I changed my microphone flag this year because it was a custom 3D illuminated mic flag that my brother gave me for my birthday. And it's great because I was really happy with the mic flag that I have, but this is just so much better. So it was an unexpected change but just something that adds a unique characteristic to the shows that I do. I, I really like it, and maybe next year I'll have to entice him to make a better podcasting one or something like that. That'd be totally awesome to have another one of those. Of course, you could also entice him to make it a little less battery intensive, too. We're working on that. Um, something that I want to mention as well that I uh, is not really so much a purchase that is, as it is a change is... I have started to travel when I go away for work now with my Zoom H6. Before, I used to use a weird mismatch of a whole bunch of adapters, an iRig Pre, a Zoom H1, just a bunch of different stuff. And so now I've decided since I previous year got the Zoom L12 that I felt comfortable traveling with the Zoom H6 that I have. Before, I didn't want to travel with it because it was really the brains of my studio. And if I broke it, well, that's really going to suck. So now I am comfortable traveling with it and it made a big difference. And this is a, something that I wanted to mention from like a, a repurposing perspective. And it just goes along with what I said at the top of the show is you don't always need to buy new. Yes, I could have absolutely gone out and bought a Zoom H5 or a Zoom H4N Pro and that would have made my life just as easy. But I had the H6. So why leave it in the drawer tucked away? Bring it with me and make my life easier when I travel. When I had two Zoom H6s, that is what I would prefer to do is use the second H6 on the road or if I needed to record a panel or something like that and leave the original H6 hooked up to the studio because it's a pain to disconnect it and reconnect it. Steven didn't even go into that portion of it. And there, unless you are meticulous about taking a picture and knowing what settings you're using and knowing what cord goes where, it's going to be more difficult to bring the H6 back into the studio and hook it back up. Is it doable that way? Absolutely. Is it a little bit more pain? Yes. So being able to disconnect an H6 and take it on the road and not have to worry about reconnecting it is definitely a plus as well. One thing that I want to continue on with this whole repurposing train is to mention that a couple years ago, I bought what was called a Logitech G105 keyboard. Now, the reason I bought that was because I wanted to use macros while I was recording the show so that I could end up having some hotkeys for the software that I use. Well, I ended up finding a far, far better keyboard that just worked so much better with what I wanted to do made by a company called SteelSeries. So that Logitech G105 keyboard hasn't really done anything. It's actually sat in the box for about a year. Well, this year, during my editing process, it occurred to me, Stephen, 
you could use macros to make your process a lot easier and save you time. So I ended up digging out that G105 keyboard and using it instead of, again, buying something. I thought about it. I looked up some different interfaces, some media interfaces, other ways that I could do that. And then I thought, no, you have a keyboard. Why buy more? Use what you've got. And so it's actually saved me a ton of time with editing over the last few months since I started to use it. So again, I wanted to mention that because you don't always need to buy new. One thing that I also wanted to mention before we sort of get to my target misses that we were going to talk about here in a sec is that I've made some workflow changes over the past year that I think is important to, for me to recognize right now because it did end up saving me some time. And one of the big things that I ended up doing was finally getting Stargate Pioneer and Chris Farrell over on the Gunna Geek Show to send me their audio in FLAC format. FLAC is a lossless audio file, and for years I've edited with it, but what I used to have to do was take their WAV file, convert it over, and then end up uh, using it. But now they just send me the, F the FLAC, the FLAC file, directly. And so then it saves them upload time, saves them space on their storage, and it saves me a step, which again, it's time. That's my time I get back. It's kind of weird. It's not a one-to-one -one ratio because if you have like a 150 megabyte black file versus a, we'll just double it and go 300 megabyte wave file. It's not a double the time of the upload. It's more than that. So if you can reduce it, you're more than having the upload time of the file that you're pushing up. Most of the time, an hour long recording for me runs about 700 megabytes or so in in waveform. And if I can reduce that to under 200, I'm really rocking the upload. And so are my co-hosts who don't have as good of Internet as I do. So it just makes the whole process run a lot smoother and you're not losing any information whatsoever. Now, the next thing that I want to mention is also a workflow change, but this directly corresponds with some hardware that I was going to start using and start buying. So over on the Gunna Geek Show, one of the challenges that we sometimes have is that when I want to edit the video product, I like to make it look as fluid as I can. So if all of a sudden we're on a screen where maybe, you know, there's three of us on the screen at one time and someone makes a mistake, I always try to switch what's being shown. So if you picture three people on stay on screen, they make an error like I just did. And then I go and I switch it to, so it's just one person showing on screen. Then when I go and edit, you don't really see that mistake because it just looks like a camera change. Well, guess what? When I forget to do that, it makes it very difficult to edit seamlessly. So my original intention was that I was going to start capturing their streams independently so that if I ever needed to switch, I had that to fall back. Well, that was going to be a nightmare because not only was that going to cost me money, it's going to be extra hardware. Probably going to need USB sticks or SD cards or or something else like that. So what I did instead was just decide to build some visual stingers, you know, like the Gunna Geek logo or other things that I could simply put that would mask that edit. So you didn't just see a choppy edit point where these happen. So it was, again, thinking outside of the box and saving me from having to buy hardware unnecessarily. And so I just wanted to share that because, again, I was planning on going down one hardware path and made the conscious decision not to. And really, money, not spending money is a good thing. 
Yeah, whenever you can save money, especially if you're a hobbyist, it's probably for the best. If you have a more professional studio that's used eight hours a day or something more like that, you probably don't want to save money like that. But for what we do, it's just fine. So before we do close up my little section here of our two-part arc, I want to go ahead and mention some target misses, some targets that I had for 2018 and things that I missed. Well, the first thing that I want to mention is the thing that I talked about putting a little bit of money in, which was my visual backdrop. I've been using what I have now for several years, and I had the target to change it. I've had like for two years, a couple of ideas that I, I've been wanting to execute on from a practicality perspective each week and just freshening things up. Well, it never happened. I ended up planning on using a hardware store gift card because I'm going to build it again myself. Um, but I used that for other things because you know what? Life happens. And sometimes you have to use that hardware gift card on things like toilets. Yeah, I didn't even know you had indoor plumbing up there in Canada. I mean, the, the, don't the igloos have like ditches in them that you use? Isn't that what a toilet is? Anyways, we'll leave that alone. Uh, another miss that I had was, well, we talked about this a few episodes ago, but I wanted to mention it was I have a Behringer MDX 4600 compressor slash gate that I usually use for our live streams so that we can kind of gate out that wonderful, that lovely Skype hiss that is injected by using Skype. And I never ended up hooking that back up after I had some problems last year because my intention was to clean up the cable, partially using those isolators that I mentioned, partially, partially just making uh, purchases that would have shorter cables. But I never ended up getting around to that because I just couldn't bring myself to do to buy what I needed to. And so right now it is sitting unhooked up. So I'll go ahead and say that that was a miss because I planned on cleaning up those cables. Another thing that I wanted to go ahead and do over 2018 was add a hard mute switch in line between my microphone and the DBX286 because of the fact that the way the Zoom Out 12 works is that it's recording pre-mute. So if I go and I mute myself on the Zoom L12, what ends up happening is that that recording still is active and you still hear what was happening before that mute. Therefore, pushing the mute is only good for a live stream or a live mix and not the recordings on the SD card. So I wanted to add a hard mute so that if I needed to cough, if I heard my kids yelling, which they always do because they're little and they fight all the time, then I could go ahead and do that. The other thing that I wanted to do with the last thing that I want to go ahead and mention was my shock mount. I wanted to change my shock mount because for years with my Audio-Technica BP-40, I have used something that I've gone and put together. It's definitely sagging. I need to replace the elastics. So I thought, well, get the real thing. You keep going back to it, Steven. For a while, I was unsure if that was going to be my long-term mic, but I keep going back to it. And so I wanted to invest in that, but I didn't because again, life happens. It's about hundred dollars here in the United States. Do you know what the price is up in Canada? Is it like one hundred fifty Canadian? Yeah, I think it's about one forty nine. Yeah, it's that's, really expensive. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why Steven's been putting it off. It's just that Canadian border tax that shouldn't really be there, but it is. It's because everything's transported on a moose. That's why. Mm. Moose or meese? Both. It's it's considered okay. both. Okay. 
Yeah, I hope you do get that new shock mount because I have one and whenever I use the BP-40, it's really cool. It, it locks into place and everything. So I, I hope you eventually do get it, but I understand why you haven't gotten it in 2018. So there you go. That's sort of my hardware rundown of 2018 and included the upgrades, things I didn't upgrade, and some other thoughts that saved me from upgrading. So if you have any questions or comments on any of this, I know it was a rundown. Please get in touch with us through any of the ways. You can go ahead and find it at betterpodcasting.com. We've got all of our information on there. Or just go ahead and comment on the latest episode there. And I will definitely respond and probably not respond on show, though, for a while. Because, again, we're not recording live uh, until 2019. So I can't go back. I'm not a time traveler. But let's go ahead and move on to the Better Podcasting Download. Welcome to this week's Better Podcasting Download. Oh, SP, how excited were you to find out what I told you about this? I was busy at work and it came across and you're like, take a look at this. I'm like, I don't have time. He's like, take a look at this. I took a look at it. And I kept looking and I kept looking and I kept looking. I'm like, holy crap. I can't believe that so much information is being passed just by a podcast submission. And it got me thinking about a lot of things. But Stephen, why don't you get a little bit more specific? Because you're the one that found this in the, in the first place. Sure. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pandora basically opened up the opportunity to submit your podcast if you're not using Libsyn. So when they rolled it out, Libsyn basically was the gatekeeper. And so most of the submissions came through Libsyn. Well, a couple of weeks ago, they did end up and we'll make sure there's a link in the doc at betterpodcasting.com slash 161. They did open up the form where you can submit your show if you want to be considered to be added to Pandora. Well, before we get there, I will say that where I screwed up was that I went and I submitted the GunnaGeek.com show. You might remember back when Spotify opened their portal, I tried to pull one over on SP and I submitted GunnaGeek.com show. And then like the next morning I was like, ha we're already in when he tried to share me the news with me. I thought I might be able to do the same thing with Pandora. So I submitted in there and then I didn't hear back the next day. And I meant to tell him before we recorded last week's show about this, but I forgot. So we're delivering this to you a week late because I am a screw up. That's the bottom line. Well, it's that that's not news, but the news <laughs> is that you have submitted to Pandora here and you have not heard back. No. And I, I honestly, I think after we go through this, you'll see that I don't expect to really hear back. And what we're going to do today is sort of run through the quote intake form that they have for getting your podcast on Pandora. So aside from the basic podcast details like email address, name, description, all that stuff there, we're not going to talk about any of that. There are a bunch of fields in here and information that they are requesting, and we want to run through this for you. The first thing that is up here, aside from those basic details, is, is the show branded content, which is a yes or a no thing? And then it says, if so, who is the brand slash sponsor? So obviously they want to know about branding. The other thing that they have here is what host or CMS do you publish your show on? Libsyn, Art19, Megaphone, etc. So they're asking for that. If you select other, of course, they want to know who is your other. They also ask 
Which of these describes your podcast best? Is it a serial or is it standalone episodes? Which of these better describes your podcast? Is it timely or evergreen? The next thing that they ask is how often do you release your podcast? And they have a drop down box, which is daily five times, daily seven times, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, or seasonal. Now that's interesting to me because they have no daily six times, which one of the biggest, most up and coming podcasts that I've seen in recent is the Curiosity Daily. I have to say, I've seen their name around the internet a lot. So within my circles, or the one of the up and comers that I've seen them promoted a lot. So I think they're going places. They don't have a category there, so they've kind of sort of narrowed the field. Yeah, that's interesting. If you had a six-day-a-week podcast, would you choose five or seven? I think I'd choose seven, but what would, I would you choose? I would choose five because I don't want to oversell. Yeah, that's, especially with everything being asked for. Yeah, it's probably true. Now, the next thing is all to do with sort of episode length and episodes per year. Stargate Pioneer, do you want to go ahead and take this over? Sure. So they're asking for the average episode length in minutes. And if you're targeting a certain minute, you could go with that. I don't think you have to go into your episodes and actually average it out. But, you know, whatever your target is, it asks for the number of new episodes per year. So if you're releasing, if you say you're releasing weekly and you skipped two whole months in there, I don't know. It might be a, a double tap on that. They're asking for the total number of episodes in show catalog. So that's your back catalog. So they're asking basically how much are we going to have access to there? What is your average downloads per episode in a 30 day window from the premiere? That's pretty on spot. You know, I'd go 45 days, but they're asking for 30. I get it. And for all those people that like to report their downloads per month, like I have six episodes that are five episodes or four episodes per month, and I get a thousand downloads per month. You're not getting a thousand downloads per episode. Per episode is the metric to use. So I'm not really shocked about this. However, I am shocked about the next two. They want the total downloads US only of 2017. And they want the total downloads US only of 2018. Wow. Yep. I use lips and stats and I would even think that would be hard to pull down. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And those were the two that really kind of made me scratch my head. And at that point, I went. I'm curious if they're going to want me because like the when you see 2017 and 2018, to me, that indicates they, they have a mission. They have a mission because they're comparing two years and there's got to be an objective to compare the two years. And I'm thinking they're wanting to see big growth. That's my, that's my random speculation is a or massive big growth numbers between, in both years. Yeah. So I, I'm curious because of the two. Uh, right. By the way, before we continue in the chat today at Geeks.Live, we have Mike Dell, which is from Blueberry, and he says easy on Blueberry stats. So there you go. And, and you know, Blueberry is now IAB certified. So, so there you go. I'm sure it would be easy to pull down Ellipson. I just don't look at my stats that way. So it, it, I'm not knocking lips in there. It's just I don't use lips and stats. I do understand why they're asking for U.S. only because Pandora is only available yeah. in the United States. The next spot was, does the show have any advertising? Yes or no. If yes, who sells ads for your show? And if you have a third party ad sales partner, who is it? 
And that's interesting to me because uh, they are obviously trying to make money off of your podcast and they want to put ads over your show and they might either want to deconflict or make sure that the ads being sold aren't in conflict with their ads. I mean, this is an interesting thing. So I I can't remember who has the Super Bowl this year. Let's just say it's Fox. So Fox has the Super Bowl and Fox's main sponsor is Pepsi. But the NFL and the Super Bowl's main sponsor is Coke. So you get to the Super Bowl and the network is throwing a bunch of one ad and the the, uh, NFL in their ad sales is throwing a different ad. So you have two different ads. Now, I know Pepsi and Coke have had dual ads on programs before, and that's not that big of a deal. But if it was an industry that was a big deal, then you'd want to deconflict that. So, wow, this is getting into big business and Pandora is in business to make money. So I understand it. But that's a little intrusive if I'm an independent podcaster. Yes. Now, the next couple of things that we're just going to fly through here, I want to say are interesting to me to see how technical they get. Uh, It says, do you include markers for the location of the ads in your show? Another question is, if yes, what type of markers are they? Are they ID3 tags, jingle, inaudible tone slash beep? Then they say, please self-rate your show, which is family-friendly, general audience, and so forth. What file format do does your show use? MP3 or other? If other, or please I specify. I don't know. Yep. I don't know. Is <laughs> why, How would you not know what file format your show yep. was? Then, this is where I was going there, is they go, what's the sample rate? Which, for people... who have been podcasting a while, they probably know that. But there are a lot of tools that people are now using to make podcasting easy, and Mm. they might not know that. Okay, that's fair. What's the bit rate? Again, you should know this, but as podcasting gets away from just the techie people, and you start to use simple tools, you might not know that either. Unless you're using Simplecast, which you know it's 128 or smaller. Fair enough. And they go, how loud is it? Is it less than minus 20 loofs? Minus 20 to minus 17 loofs? Or more than minus 17 loofs? Really? Because the target is minus 16, 15, or 14. Right. So they're lumping that in with too loud, basically. Agreed. So I thought that was really interesting. And again, you know, more than the bit rate, I think less people would know that. And here's another one. Is your true peak max volume more than minus 2 dBTP? And the answers are, I don't know, and was not informed there, w- there would be math on this quiz. Yes or no? I know, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, even in the podcasting about podcast circles, I don't know how many people would be able to tell you what a dBTP was. Mm-hmm. I know, and that's, that's where it got to me that I'm like, Hey, what's going on with this? Like, why, why are they doing this? Like, are they trying to just avoid having to actual, actually do some form of processing or pulling to sample all this? I, I don't know. And then the last couple of things is just anything else important for us to know. And then also, are you planning on any special episodes this holiday season? So very interesting. A lot of information being asked and one can presume and, and maybe I'm wrong on this and we'd love to hear from anybody who is in the know at Libsyn if this is incorrect. But one can assume that if they're asking for this, maybe this information is being passed for shows that are being submitted from Libsyn over. At least some of it. 
Because I highly doubt that Libsyn's written an algorithm to sample your episodes to get the loose and the minus two DBTB and all this stuff. I, I just don't see it practical from Libsyn's part of view, but maybe it is. So if anybody over at Libsyn has any idea on if this stuff is being submitted or if it's not, we'd love to hear. Get in touch with us through any of the ways over at betterpodcasting.com because, uh, yeah, that's a lot of stuff for you to fill out. And it sort of adds... Adds definitely credibility to the idea of just submitting through your media host if you don't like forms. <laughs> right. And having a media host that has this available and has statistics that are IAB measurement 2.0, at least compliant, if not certified, so that you can know that the information you're saying is the information that they need. And sure. I'm not just talking about Pandora. It's going to be something else in the future that's going to need this sort of stuff. So if you want to make sure your show is distributed there, even if you're not making any money off of it, even if it's just a hobby for you and you just want to make sure it's distributed to the different places that people can listen to it, you're going to need this sort of information. Wow. Absolutely. But let's go ahead and move on to the better podback. This week, we asked a question. Here's a podcast question for you. What has been your most valued purchase that you've made related to your podcast? What was the most disappointing? And today, we're going to fly through some answers and give what was discussed on our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord, and also over on Twitter at twitter.com slash betterpod. So SP, kick us off with Mark D's response. Mark D said, that's a genuinely difficult question that I've started to answer a couple of times legitimately tough. I guess I would have to say that my most valuable purchase was my first set of microphones and mixer, bearing her on both, because that's what got me in the water and swimming. My most disappointing purchase might also be my first set of microphones and mixer. I didn't know that they wouldn't be great on my voice and I had poor mic technique, still do. I didn't know that my mixer would only output two-channel stereo to my computer. That taught me a lesson real quick. Mark D, that is great answers right there, and I can honestly say that they are very familiar to both of us. We also had Damien the DM say, the Zoom H6 is an obvious choice for me. It's literally how we record. Most disappointing? The other side of the spectrum, when I first decided I wanted to do this, we got a... Yeti. 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 I Sorry, you were play I, a bump I needed there. the pregnant pause there. I needed yeah. the pregnant pause. That's all. Uh, we also had Josh Liston say regarding the question today: most valued Rode NTG3, the most flattering mic I've used on my voice, the most disappointing. I want to say the PR40, but it's the Zoom H5, not as reliable as my old Roland R05, and not in the same league as my Mix Pre6. Yeah, a couple of thoughts there. First of all, I don't think we were very impressed with the PR40. I guess it was great back in the day when you didn't have all the options that you do have today, like the RE320. But yeah, I think we're both in the same camp on the PR40. The Zoom H5, I would stand to argue a little bit from him. I know where Josh is coming from. He's talking about the nice, clean noise floor. He's talking about the different things that you could do on board. For a hobbyist just starting out, I, I don't think that would be a disappointment, the Zoom H5. Now, the Mix Pre 6, yeah, nothing is in the same league as the Mix Pre 6. For as small as that thing is, as much capability as it has, if you have the money to shell out 900 bucks for a 
sound devices, MixPre 6, go for it because it's an awesome piece of hardware. Over in the chat at Geeks.Live, we have Mike Dell saying that the worst thing that he got from last year was the ATR2100, and his best is the Audio-Technica BPHS1 headset mic. Hmm. Interesting combination there. Uh, a lot of people don't like the gain floor of the ATR2100, so that might be one of the issues he has with it. The Samsung Q2U, virtually the same microphone, has a little bit better gain, so that might be better for people. The BPHS-1 headset microphone, it does have its place, although it's a little bit too um, abrupt for me. And that's <laughs> what it was designed for. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you're in a crowded stadium, the headset is great. But if you're in a studio, for me at least, it's not the best thing. But Mike loves it. So, good on you, Mike. Jonathan Bloom said his best purchase has to be his PC. He's been setting it up and tearing down for over a year until October when I finally had a dedicated recording PC. It also makes a great space for gaming. I love having everything ready to go. So do we, Jonathan. So do we. Zachary Webb said, most valuable purchase was my first, quote, big boy, end quote, podcasting setup. Knox podcast microphone, Logitech C920, foam windscreen, a newer boom arm. Before, I had just a simple 3.5 millimeter microphone that worked, but not as well. Jason Bryant in the chat said he got an SM7B that works awesome for him with a Rode PSA1 boom arm. Oh, and the Personas 192. We also had over on Twitter, Hidden Path Podcast say best purchase audio mixing board. Literally would not attempt an episode without it. Most disappointing purchase, condenser microphone. It's a cheaper one. Used it once for a guest. Terrible decision. Uh, regarding that, you can go ahead and check all of them out over at youtube.com slash podcastage. All of them are over there. All of all of the cheap condensers. <laughs> all of the, and if he, he doesn't have a cheap condenser on there, tell him he needs to get a hold of one. Yes, Bandrew, I'm sending you some work your way. Over on Twitter, we also had a response from at GR Chingus. That's G-R-C-H-I-N-A-S. And Jared Chingas said the best purchase was a pre mix pre three. And the most disappointing is an audio technica BP 40, which I bought because somebody uses it to record his podcast. And I think his name is Steven John Drew. I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. The next thing that we had was sunshine and power cuts say best value. Samson Q to you most disappointing. My computer, though it was bought before I began podcasting, should have thought more about having specs to accommodate more creativity. Uh, you know, our biggest thing is to use what you got when you start with. So if your computer isn't optimized for podcasting, just realize that and work within the parameters until you can go ahead and upgrade to get a computer with the specs that you need to do whatever it is that you're going to do. So I'm not going to falter here. I mean, you start off with what you got and that's exactly what you did. Odd Dad Out said, best value, upgrading to Reaper, really sped up my recording and editing workflow. Most disappointing, RX6 Elements. I just don't get out of it being the lightest version. So definitely should have gone for the full version from the get-go. I can understand that uh, the RX, the, the light, the elements, you really only get four of the effects. And of those four effects, I only use two. We'll talk about that next week. Next up, we had uh, Varman's podcast. Best, the Zoom H1 that I record directly into through the mixer got rid of a lot of my sound quality problems. The worst, Reaper. 
It's not doing anything special that Audacity isn't already for me. So, of course, we have to pair those two back to back. Right. Now, I have uh, some things I could say about Reaper and Audacity. Reaper is not a non-destructive editor. Audacity is. But if your workflow is fine using Audacity, just realize that you're using a destructive editor. Also had the salty bastard say best H6 Zoom with XLR adapter and ATR Audio Technica headphone 50X. We had worst. These headphones called a Resident Audio R100, I think. I gave them to another co-host. It's always the way to go with your bad gear. Give it to someone else. Like, make their problem right. your problem their problem. Well, if they're not using any headphones to begin with, you give them headphones so that they can use it. Otherwise, yeah, I would think heavily about just throwing them away. But that's just me. Brock, our occupational therapist from down under at Brock Cook OT on Twitter, said he valued his Zoom H5. And the disappointing was the AT2020 USB plus LOL. So yeah, condenser, he was laughing at himself over that. We had at Larry Tractor say, my headphones was the best and the worst was my other headphones. <laughs> so there you go. That's the play on the uh, Daryl and my other brother is Daryl. Yeah. No. Uh, and why don't you go ahead and close us out with our last one here, SP. Yeah, we had Cybercast at Cybercast, S-I-B-E-R, cast. And he said, most valued is the Mackie Pro FX 8V2 mixer. I started with a smaller one that was the enough, so this will work for years to come. Most disappointing, the Blue Yeti mic. Everybody recommended it. It's garbage. Replaced with the ATR2100. Also, a cheap tablet for a soundboard is a bad idea. So thank you, everybody, who participated in this. It was a ton of fun. It was great to get your feedback just to tie in to our gear arc. And thank you to everybody who was chatting, talking a little bit about this at Geeks.Live as we record, including Johnny Pennington, which just informed me that his best value was the $120 yearly subscription to Better Podcasting that SP gave a special price for. He said, don't tell Steven or I have to charge the whole price. Oh, geez, Johnny, you got ripped off. I would have only sold it to you for 60 bucks a year, but that's for you. That's for you to figure out with SB. And $60 Canadian too. So that would have been like two cents American. But there you go for episode 161 of Better Podcasting. I'm Stephen John Drew saying, I hope your Christmas is wonderful and you have a great holiday season. And I'm SP saying, I hope your holiday is going well. We'll be back next week with my gear. See you later. Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to another episode of Better Podcasting. We want to hear from you. You can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. If you like the show, please consider giving us a five-star review in iTunes. We encourage you to check out all of the other geeky podcasts available at gunnageeknetwork.com. This has been a Gunna Geek production. Thanks for listening, and we will see you again next week. <laughs>